you would take your Bibles today to John chapter 8. What is, what is Christianity? You know, this is an important question, but I also believe this is a question that many in the church today would struggle to answer. This week I read this statement, I believe it was on Twitter, and it said, people who don't have any understanding of who Jesus is are getting a picture of a false Christ as they look at much of what is being presented by those claiming Christianity in the Western world. Last year in the Washington Times, there was an article uh, that was entitled, America's New Religion, Fake Christianity. The article goes on to say that fake Christianity has supplanted the biblical worldview. And the author, Rachel Bratton, said this. She said, American Christianity has fallen. Thanks to cultural corrosion and a lack of biblical literacy, a new fake Christianity is now being preached within the American church. This counterfeit religion is moralistic therapeutic deism, a worldview that has quickly gained prominence and given many Americans a theology that looks nothing like historical Christianity. Despite what they may claim, she then goes on to cite that the recent work of George Barna back in February of, of that same year. Barna said that moralistic therapeutic deism is a watered-down, feel-good, fake Christianity, and it is the most popular worldview in the United States today. He goes on to say that Christianity in this nation is rotting from the inside out. This fake Christianity is destroying the church because it has some Christian elements in it, but it's not really biblical. It's not really Christian. Miss Bratton will conclude that moralistic therapeutic deism distorts the God of the Bible in an attempt to make him bless all the dissipations and vanities of the modern world. Then the Christian apologist Frank Turek recently said, some people call themselves progressive Christians when they are neither progressive nor Christian because they disagree with Jesus on several significant issues. They disagree with Jesus on sex. They disagree with Jesus on the Bible. They disagree with Jesus on heaven and hell. They disagree with Jesus on his atonement. So why would they call themselves a Christian? And he goes on to say, please stop calling yourself a Christian if you don't believe in Christianity. This is a real issue in our society today. Just in August of this year, Christianity.com published an article by Erwin Lutzer entitled Five False Gospels Within the Evangelical Church Today. Not five false gospels in the world, but five false gospels that you can find in places that call themselves the evangelical church. He starts off by saying the church has always been tempted to dull the sharp edges of the Christian faith, to abandon hard truths in the face of cultural and religious pressure. Passing a vibrant faith to the next generation is always a challenge, especially without the support of the government, the courts, the media, public schools, and the national church. And so he goes on to say, herein are just five of many doctrinal temptations the church faces today. Number one, there is the gospel of permissive grace. Many people have been rescued out of sterile, joyless, and performance-based Christianity 
when they learn that we are not only saved by grace, but we are also daily renewed and accepted by grace. They have been delivered from a life of rules without relationship and outward compliance without joyful obedience. Grace, once understood, is truly amazing, not just for great sinners, but also for struggling saints. But today we are witnessing a perversion of grace in what we can call the grace movement. Teachers and preachers who offer people grace in advance, even before they are convinced they need it. Today, many preachers say that God loves you unconditionally, and God loves you just as you are, and so unconditional love is interpreted as unconditional acceptance of one's lifestyle. He goes on to say that God does not love everyone in the same way. He loves his people, those who are in Christ, in Christ, in Christ unconditionally, even as he loves his son. But this does not mean that God is always pleased with our conduct. He goes on to say false gospel number two is the, social, the gospel of social justice. And we see this popping up more and more in our society today. In the early 20th century, many churches left off preaching the cross of Christ and replaced it with doing good to their fellow man. They justified their stance with verses from the Old Testament, such as bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause there in Isaiah. Social concerns replaced the finished work of Christ who died and rose again to save sinners. And the gospel of God saving us from sin was almost entirely neglected. In reaction, to fundamentalists rejected the social gospel and for the most part confined themselves to the urgent need for individual conversion, neglecting the social implications of the gospel. But history is repeating itself today with many different twists. Many today feeling as if they don't fit in with evangelicalism's romance with conservative politics have chosen to devote themselves to social justice and sadly many of them have abandoned the doctrine of personal repentance and opted for what they see as a more practical gospel, helping the poor and needy. We are commanded to live radically like Christ, committing ourselves to the needs of others, body, soul, and spirit, but we must serve with a redemptive mindset always seeking opportunities to preach the gospel. Another false gospel is the gospel of new age spirituality. Many younger evangelicals do not feel at home in the church. They gravitate to groups where they can be personally involved in honest sharing, caring for the poor and ongoing relationships. Predictable formal worship services that follow a script often lack the vitality some of them are looking for. And so they are seeking generation and uncomfortable with being told to uh, what to believe and are committed to finding faith that is right for them, despite what the Bible has to say. And they've left the Bible for experience. There's the gospel of, my, of sexual preference in our world today. We won't go into that, but then there's a gospel of interfaith dialogue. Many have brought in false teachers from other religions in order to have this interfaith dialogue and make everybody feel accepted. And there's a difference between bringing somebody that's an unbeliever that believes something contrary to the scripture to present what they call truth before a congregation and bringing somebody that was converted out of that false faith or false doctrine to present that, that truth. When we come to John chapter 8, one thing we see very quickly is that Jesus was not politically correct. 
And I think that's one of the big downfalls in our society today. The church has decided that we need to be politically correct. We need to make sure that everybody feels good, everybody is accepted, and when everybody leaves, their self-esteem has grown, and, and they're encouraged, and they're excited about, uh, about life, even apart from true doctrine, true biblical teaching, and apart from a relationship that only, with God that only comes through Jesus Christ. I want you to look at that last verse that Matt read just a, a few moments ago uh, there in verse number 51. He says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, if a man keep my saying, he shall never see death. Have you ever heard somebody say, this is a matter of life and death? As Christ is talking to uh, these unbelievers, these fake believers, these Jews, as he's dialoguing with them, he, he is not trying to just encourage them in their life. He's not trying to just make them feel good about themselves. He's not just trying to have this warmth well up in their heart and get a lump in their throat where they're uh, uh, just uh, like they've just watched a Hallmark movie. Jesus tells them, listen, this is a matter of life and death. And the church has to come back to preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ and standing on truth and, and making the Bible a priority. Hey, listen, when I come to church, I'm, I am entertained. Hey, wasn't it entertaining to see our kids up here today? I mean, it, it was awesome. I mean, to hear the folks sing and to listen to Isabel play her violin and Abby sing the words and hear the orchestra. Hey, listen, when I come to church, I, I'm, I'm entertained. But listen, I don't come to church for entertainment and we don't perform to entertain people that come sit in the pews or the chairs or to watch us online. We want people to understand that they are sinners on their way to hell if they do not accept Jesus Christ as their savior. And so the music that we sing, the music that we preach, the message messages that come forth are biblical messages. You know, I'm okay with coming together in quote-unquote formal religious worship as long as the Bible is preached and people are pointed to Jesus Christ and God is glorified. That's what our purpose is. And we as individual Christians and we as the church cannot lose sight of that truth. I understand one day I'll stand before God and I'll give an account for how I pastor this church and how I, the direction that we go in certain areas. I understand that reality. And I want to make sure that I stand before God with a clear conscience knowing that we stood on the truth of the word of God and that the gospel was at the forefront of our message, not your um, comfort and your ease and your entertainment. We don't want to come to the place in our life where we're simply politically correct, but we want to be biblically correct in everything that we say and do. And that's what Jesus did. And so what is Christianity? If the church is struggling with this idea of Christianity and the identity of Christianity, uh, we come to John chapter 8, and I believe Jesus kind of lays it out. Uh, for these individuals. They were looking uh, at the, simply the fact that, hey, we are of Abraham's seed. Abraham is our father. So basically what they were saying is, we're okay because of our heritage. We're okay because of our heritage. You know, there are probably people in this church that your family believes they're okay because 
of their heritage. Maybe because the grandfather or the grandmother was a believer or their parents are believers. And listen, we kind of lend ourselves to that because we're constantly telling our kids how great they are and how wonderful they are and how amazing they are. Hey, listen, my kid would never lie. My kid would never cheat. My kid would never throw a temper tantrum. And we're so constantly trying to build our kid's self-esteem up. Let me ask you, when's the last time you told your, your child or maybe, God forbid, your grandchild which is a little harder to do, I understand, that they're a sinner and that they're wrong and they've broken God's word. It's, e- it's easy for us to criticize the Israelites who say, hey, we're at Abraham's seed, so we're good. We're all right. God is our father because Abraham is our earthly father. Therefore, God is our heavenly father. And, and Jesus lays it out for him. And listen, you are flat wrong in your thought process and your belief if that's what you're holding to to have a right relationship with my father, with God. You are wrong. And we do the same thing so often. We, we, we just act as if like, you know, we're part of this church or we're part of that. we part of this movement or part of this group or our family. You know, you're part of our family. And we kind of, we don't say that. We'll never preach that. But it's kind of the attitude we give. Hey, your children from the earliest of age need to know they are sinners and need to be saved by the grace of God. And they need to put their faith in Jesus Christ as well. I'm all about encouraging them in whatever area of life they're in, whether it's academics, athletics, music. I'm all, hey, listen, everybody needs to get a pat on the back. But if you're constantly telling them how great they are and never sharing with them and helping them learn and understand the the truth of their sinfulness, that's a problem. Well, I don't want to hurt their feelings. Hey, listen, I've had a lot of people hurt my feelings in life, and I'm so grateful for it. I wasn't in the moment. But as I look back on my life, I'm grateful that somebody told me how arrogant I was and I needed to get over myself. I'm grateful that somebody told me I was in my sin, dying and going to hell. I'm grateful when I'm out of place and somebody's willing to stand up and help correct me in my behavior or my way of thinking or even my speech. And that's helped me so many times in my life. In the moment, I was mad and could punch them in their face. But I'm glad, looking back, that there were people that were willing to do that. And listen, the church needs to be the one to preach the gospel because they're not going to do it out there in society. And so today, as we look at John chapter 8, I want to examine what Jesus says about Christianity, about having a relationship with God. Father, we do thank you for your word. And Lord, I pray that you would, Lord, challenge us, Lord, in our behavior and our thinking, Lord, in our actions, Lord, when it comes to uh, Christianity and our worldview. And Lord, I pray that we would get some things right and change some things, Lord, where we're off and we're struggling. Lord, I pray that our church, Lord, would always be a church that stands on Bible doctrine and preaches your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. The first thing I want you to see are the marks of Christianity that Christ kind of lays out here in this passage. Go back with me to verse 37. They had just told him that, listen, we're okay because we are of Abraham's seed. And he says, I know that ye are Abraham's seed. That's not the issue here. But ye seek to kill me because my word hath no place in you. Later on, he talks about here in these verses about believing because you do not believe. In verse 46, you don't believe. Uh, the first mark of Christianity is really uh, the overarching arc or, or mark is the issue of faith. The issue of faith, the issue of, of believing. And that brings us back then to the Word of God. 
to the word of God. The Bible tells us that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So many people today are looking for something outside of the Bible. One of the, argue, the, excuse me, the articles that I mentioned, she said one of the biggest problems in the church today is biblical illiteracy. The fact that the Bible is not a priority anymore. We kind of want to get together and, and have our coffee and fellowship and have conversations about everything else and then we'll kind of just tack on the Bible at the very end and make ourselves feel good. Yeah, we had a Bible study. No, you had a gossip session and, and added on a verse at the end. You had a dialogue about some worldly secular topic and then you just threw in a scripture, a scripture verse so that you could say that you had a Bible study. Christians need to get back to making the Bible a priority in their own life. The church needs to make sure studying the Bible is a priority that the people in the church know the Bible, understand the Bible, and apply the Bible to their life. And Jesus says, the issue is my word is not in you. And listen, you can believe in whatever you want and go to hell. Because this is what people do. Well, I have my own truth. I, I, I have my own belief system. Hey, if it's contrary or outside of the Bible, then that's gonna send you straight to hell. And this is where they were. Hey, we're, we're Abraham's seed, and so we believe that we're okay. And Jesus says, my word is the priority. And the Bible has to be the truth that you believe. It's not about my opinion. It's not about your opinion. It's not about what I like. You know, people get together, I'll have Bible studies, and they'll say, well, I believe this is what it says. Well, it doesn't matter what you believe. It matters what it says. All right, let's get honest today. So many people come to a passage of scripture and, and this is what I want it to say. And so I'm gonna make it fit what I want it to say instead of coming to it and saying, this is what it says. So my life is gonna match up with that. And I'm gonna change to match up with that instead of trying to make myself feel good as I'm running out here living like the devil and living like the world and still believe that I'm a Christian and that I'm honoring God with my life. Hey, if you're sitting here today and you're living in fornication and immorality, you can justify it all you want. God's not pleased with that lifestyle. Amen. That's the truth of the word of God. And this was the problem. They were looking for the truth outside of the word of God. It was their heritage. It was what their parents said. It was what their friends said. And I know it's difficult to say that your parents are wrong or that your friends are wrong or even to admit that I was wrong in my thinking and in my way of life. But Jesus says, the problem is, my word is not in you. My friend, I can't tell you any greater truth that you are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. It's not of your works. It's not of your heritage. It's not of your morality. It's not of your position in this world today. Hey, I'm middle-class American. Hey, listen, middle-class Americans die and go to hell every, sink every stinking day. That's the reality of life. It's by faith in Jesus Christ. And that is the overarching mark of Christianity. If you've never personally accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, then you are not a part of God's family. You are dead in your trespasses and sins. And going back to the verse we quoted in 51, this is a matter of life and death. Spiritually, you are dead in your sins, and you will spend eternity separated from God if you die physically in that state. Jesus says, my word is not in you. You're not believing the truth. And if you don't believe the word of God and apply the word of God to your life, that's where the problem comes. Then he moves on 
in, in their conversation. The second mark of Christianity, then he moves on to their works. And now don't get me wrong, let me clarify before you kind of get crazy on me talking about works and, and, and Christianity. He goes on to say there, I speak that which I have seen with my father, and ye do that which ye have seen with your father. They answered and said unto him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said unto them, if ye were Abraham's children, ye would do then the works of Abraham. You would do the works of your father. And so the problem, what he says here, if you were saved, I would see that in your life. And this is what James tells us in, in his book when he says, listen, you're not saved by works, but if you are saved, then I would see the works in your life. And Jesus says, you're running around here living a life that's contrary to what Christianity is and what a believer should be doing in life. And so, but you're claiming to be a Christian. And that goes back to the articles that I read. That was the whole point of these articles and these quotes. They kept saying that everybody's running, these people are running around claiming to be Christians and a part of Christianity, but their lifestyle is far from it. And they're living contrary to what, a, what true Christianity, biblical Christianity is. And so the second mark of Christianity is our works. We should live like we're a believer in Jesus Christ. You know, we, we have this idea today. I heard one speaker, one preacher say, God does not want you to live according to the Bible. He just wants you to live for Jesus. Well, what does that mean? That is one of the most foolish statements I've ever heard anybody say, let alone somebody that claimed to be a pastor or a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's no way that you can live for Jesus apart from the word of God, all right? You, you can't just make up what it means to live as a Christian and to live for Jesus. The Bible gives us instruction and teaching and there's expectation that God has for us in our life. We don't like that because we don't want rules and we don't want expectations in our life. But the truth is there are expectations that God has for us in our behavior. All right, it's easy. The Bible says we're not to hate other people. But, but, I, but I don't like them. But you don't understand what they did to me and you don't understand how they treated me. No, but the Bible says you're not to hate them. And if you've hated them, it's as if you've already killed them in your heart. But yet we got people that are running around, they're mean and grumpy and hateful and treat people with disrespect. We're to love other people and show kindness to people. And, and we, we do contrary to that. Listen, your works should show your faith. Your works don't save you, but your works should show you. And Jesus is telling them, hey, you're running around here like insane that you're Abraham's family, but, and you're, you know, you're Abraham's seed, but your life does not exemplify that. Just because we say that we're a Christian doesn't mean that we're a Christian. We have to receive Christ, and then it should be seen in our life. I can tell you that I'm married here today, and I wear a ring but if I were to walk around flirting with other women and going out on dates with other women, you'd question me. One of two things is true. Either I'm not married or I'm com committing a, a grave sin. One of those things is true. You know, we do the same thing in our spiritual life. We claim to be Christian, and one of, the true, two, one of those two is true. Either you're really not a Christian or you're sinning against God in the way that you live, in the way that you're running around here in this world. So Jesus says, there's a problem. Your actions don't match up to what you're saying. And then the third mark here, if you'll look with me, he goes on to say, 
there in this passage. If you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. Verse 40, but now you seek to kill me, a man that hath told you the truth, which I have heard of God, this did not Abraham. Ye do the deeds of your father. Then said they unto him, we be not born of fornication. We have one father, even God. And Jesus said unto them, if God were your father, ye would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God, neither came I of myself, but he sent me. The third mark of Christianity, of a true Christianity, is love for Christ. It's love for God. And Jesus said, if you were of Abraham's seed, if you were a true believer, then you would love me. And then Jesus told his disciples, if you love me, do what? Keep my commandments. And so our life should be characterized by love for Christ. And if we love Christ, then we will love the things that Christ loved. What did Christ love? Christ loved the church and he gave himself for it. You know, we can't say that we're a believer, but we don't like the church. We don't want anything to do with the church. Hey, we love God and, and we want to serve him, but we don't want anything with the local church because the local church, you know, there's hypocrites there and they have flaws and that pastor, he's a little arrogant and boring most of the time. I mean, we just, we don't like that place. And so we'll do church on our own. You know, what, there's several bad things that came out of the pandemic. The first one is e-learning days at school. I just hate them. Let me tell you, I'm not bitter about them at all, but I don't like them. All right. E-learning days are the worst. But even more importantly than that is people just, I, I go to church. I go to church on live stream. I go to church at home. Hey, and listen, I understand there are people that are shut in and there are people that have health issues and they can, that's not what I'm talking about. But people that just, that are just say, you know what? I, I can do this church thing at my home. I, God and I, we're okay. We have our relationship. We, we do church. I do church, you know, when I'm hunting or when I'm fishing or when I'm playing golf, you know, and, and, I, and I have my church. Listen, if we love him, then we love what he loves. And he loves the church and he gave himself for it. And I'm not talking about just attending church. I'm not talking about just showing up and just being here and listening to the message and then walking out. And, and I'm talking about church. The fact that we're part of the body of Christ and we're part of his family and we're to, the church is what, what Christ uses to spread the gospel and we're to serve him through the local church and be a part of it. Hey, listen, we are, are more than just a congregation here in this local body. We're, we're the family of God and we care and love for one another and we get on each other's nerves and we're here to help each other and, and strengthen each other. Christ loved the church. They didn't love what Christ loved. They didn't love him. They loved themselves. They loved their, their religion and their religious activity. And Jesus said, listen, if you were of Abraham's seed, you would love me. Faith works in love. Faith works in love. Those are the marks of Christianity. Hey, listen, works and love, they don't get you saved. They don't get you saved. Faith in Jesus Christ gets you saved. But as a believer, then our lives should express our love for him through our works. If you love me, keep my commandments. If you are my believer, if you, are, you believe in me, if you are part of my family, then it will be seen in your life. Hey, listen, just saying we're a church, you can put church on any building in, in the city. That doesn't mean it's a church. Not, not the church of Jesus Christ, not a true church. 
You have to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. The gospel has to be the foundational message if you're going to be a church. And then your faith in Christ should be expressed in your love for him and the way that you live your life. Hey, quit running around saying, well, I can do this because I'm free in Christ and I'm free indeed and I, you know, I'm saved by grace. Yeah, you're saved to serve him and honor him and to live for him. Quit misquoting scripture to make yourself feel good, but get in the Bible and figure out what it says and apply that to your life and live according to the scripture. Then Jesus goes on as he's, and I want to, as we finish up here, he, he describes then really what I see as the enemies of Christianity. The enemies are not the false gospels. Those are the results of the enemies. The first enemy he brings out is, is the devil. He tells them there that ye, in verse 44, ye are of your father, the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. And so the first enemy, the first conflict that we see here is between God and Satan, between God and the devil. And he says there, you are either of God or you are of the devil. We talk about not being politically correct. Not only does he say that you're of the devil, but he tells them you are a devil because you're a liar, you're a murderer, you're a sinner, just like your father, the devil. And basically what Christ says is your home is not heaven if you leave this world without Christ. Your home is hell. And you're going to spend hell and eternity with the devil because he is your father. We don't like that too much, that message in the world today, unfortunately. But that should be the message that we preach. That's the message that Christ preached. And so he said, you're of the father, of your father, the devil. The second enemy is false teachers. He goes on to say there, because I tell you the truth, you believe not. Which of you convinceth me of sin? And if I say the truth, you do not believe me. He that is of God heareth God's words. Ye therefore hear them not, because ye are not of God. There are these people running around saying, yeah, I believe God and I'm, I'm a Christian and all that type of stuff. And, and, and listen, there's nothing worse than distorted Christianity. There's nothing worse. As you go through the New Testament, a lot of what Paul is dealing with is dealing with false teachers and overcoming their false teaching because they're teaching and preaching false gospels and trying to pull people away from the truth. Hey, I want to encourage you, be careful on who you listen to. Be careful about who you're watching on television, who you're listening on the radio, and who you're going to listen to on the internet, because not everybody that calls themselves a preacher or an evangelist or a Christian believes the Bible and is preaching the truth. Hey, I'm going to be very clear with you. Be careful when you listen to me. Hey, I'm always right, okay? I'll be honest with you, but you better go and examine the scriptures for yourself to what I'm saying. I am I, a, a fallible man, and I have no uh, pretense that you should just take every word that I say for what, as I say it. That's why studying the Bible is such a priority, making it in your life. But they were dealing with these false teachers. Hey, being Abraham's seed makes us right with God. And Jesus says, that's false teaching. You don't understand. That is an enemy of the truth. And the truth, he tells them, it's not in you because you're not believing the truth. Then number three, the third enemy is unbelievers. The third is unbelievers. These unbelievers that don't want anything to do with Jesus Christ and are turning people away. Verse 48, then answered the Jews and said unto him, say we not well that thou art a Samaritan 
and hast a devil? Jesus answered, I have not a devil, but I honor my father and ye do dishonor me. You know, one of the biggest struggles in the world today are, is secular culture and popular culture. You know, there are people in this room that would listen to LeBron James before they would listen to somebody preach the Bible. There are people today that would listen to Beyonce or one, and that's probably old at this point, um, but there are people that would listen to these secular singers and musicians because they're something. I mean, they're somebody because, I mean, they got money and they, got, they have fame and they have prestige and everybody looks up to them and yet they're unbelievers and they preach and teach against the church and against God and against truth and against righteousness and groups of people are flocking to them. Because they're blinded to the truth. One of the biggest struggles we have today is unbelievers that preach something or teach something in their lifestyle and in their message that is contrary to the word of God. You know, there are people right in this community that would shut our church down. Politicians, business people, they don't want anything to do with our church. And really, in fact, they want to they shut our church down. And yet people that claim to be Christians support them and encourage them and help them. It's, it's, it's crazy. It's mind-boggling to me that, you know, one of the biggest things we show enemies of the church today are unbelievers out there that we, that people, even in the church, look at and honor them and glorify them when they are pagans and they're going to hell unless they accept Jesus Christ as their Savior. And that's a battle that we have to face. And then the fourth and probably one of the biggest issues is the issue of pride. Look what Jesus says there in the next verse. Verily, or excuse me, verse 50, and I seek not mine own glory. There is one that seeketh and judgeth. Verily, verily, I say unto you, if a man keep my saying, he shall never see death. You know, really, there's a battle between Jesus and these false teachers. There's this battle between those that want to their heritage. Well, look at me. Look at me. Look, we're of Abraham. See, we're not of these Gentiles. We're something great. And you know, there's probably people sitting here today or listening to this message that you believe that your life and you're so arrogant that you believe you're okay with God without Jesus Christ. Pride is keeping so many people today from receiving Jesus Christ as their savior. And this was their, their issue there. We're of Abraham's seed. My friend, you're a sinner that needs Jesus Christ as your savior. Don't let your pride keep you from trusting him. What does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to be a part of Christianity? Be a part of the family of God? It means that you've accepted by faith Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross as your savior. You've turned from your sin and turned to him. And by faith, you've received the forgiveness of sin. And then you become part of the family of God. And then our life should express that. And our works and our love for him should be seen through our lifestyle. That we're part of the church. But there's so many things that are hindering us. The devil, he's at work in the world. I believe that. He's trying to destroy the church. And there's false teachers. And we're listening to and we're not careful to examine what they say according to the scriptures. There's unbelievers that we look at and we follow. And then there's our own pride. We understand that as we go through this life, the world's going to wax worse and worse. We understand that it's going to become difficult. We're, those that want to live godly are going to suffer persecution. 
But you know what? That's not an excuse for you and for me to move away from what the Bible says. It's not an excuse to justify why we're not faithfully preaching the Bible. We're not faithfully out in the community sharing the gospel, inviting people to church. And we're not faithfully living for Jesus Christ. I don't know how accurate these articles are that I mentioned. I know there's truth to them as we look at the quote-unquote evangelical church in our society today. And I can't change what the church down the street does, and I can't change what the church in the next state does, but I can impact what we do here. And you, you can impact what we do here. And may we always stay true to the truth of Scripture and what it means to be a Christian. Let's stand together. Father, we thank you. Lord, I thank you that Jesus was not politically correct, but was bold in his message and preached the truth. And Father, I pray if there's somebody here today that has never accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior, may today be the day in their life. And Father, maybe there's somebody that's claiming to be a Christian, but they know in their heart they've never turned from their sin and turned to Jesus Christ in faith. May today be that day in their life. And Father, may those of us that are Christians, Lord, take our relationship with you serious. And may our faith in you be expressed in the way that we live.